Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Talking Football podcast. This time we're going to be asking the question, why are so many big teams in Europe underachieving so far in the league of this season? Let's start off with the Premier League because there's quite a few teams in there which have been, have been struggling of late. No more so than the champions, Liverpool, currently lie fourth in the table, three points off Manchester United, of course, who lead the way after the nil-nil at Anfield at the weekend. Three points off the top isn't the end of the world, but what concerns me with them is that they haven't scored now in three consecutive league games. Yes, they beat Aston Villa in the Cup 4-1, but that was a team of 18-year-olds from the, from the youth development at Aston Villa. City as well. Man, Man City could go top if they win the game in hand, which you'd probably expect. But they started slowly. They got hammered at home by Leicester 5-2 with the Etihad in the opening weeks of the season. So the two teams who we expected to basically run away with it and be a two-horse title race again this season haven't really shown signs of, of doing that. But then again, City now are starting to pick up really good form. Uh, yeah, agreed. Yeah, I think uh, Liverpool and Man City have sort of become the two sort of favourites to win the league uh, ever since like 2017. Like it's always Liverpool or Man City uh, at the start of the season. So to see them struggling um, is is weird because we haven't seen them struggle for however many years. Um, probably since the four o'clock came in. Uh, so it's it's weird seeing them have this sort of stop start season uh, where they seem to sort of like go on a couple of streaks without a win and then they just go on the, like a four or five game win winning streak that we would expect. Um, but I, th- I think it comes down to two things. Uh, with Liverpool, it's uh, not having a consistent centre back pairing. Um, I, I'd say that's probably the most crucial part of the pitch is the centre backs because they have, like especially for Liverpool, they have to start the attack, um, but they've also got to be defensively aware to stop them as well. So I mean, we're all going to pinpoint and say, oh, if they don't win the league, it'll be Van, Van Dijk not being available, which, which yes, it is. But I think Liverpool have also shot themselves in their own foot by not having um, more depth in that area and relying on uh, Nathaniel Phillips, Reese Williams to come in and keep the standard high that they have or play two naturally midfielders, uh, as we saw on the, on the, on the weekend um, with Fabinho and Henderson, who are the more defensive midfielders than centre-backs. Um, so... And they've always been sort of choosing from scraps in that position. Um, I think with Man City, it, it's the other end of the pitch. It, it's the attacking side, you know, not having Mr. Consistent uh, goal scorer in Aguero um, due to COVID reasons. And I think he may have had an injury or two uh, at the start of the season as well. Um, and also Gabriel Jesus, who isn't as consistent with the goals, but he's still a clinical finisher when you need him. Um, 
and again for for COVID reasons, which is out of Man City's control, and um, they've not been able to call on those two strikers. And again, playing, you know, like Raheem Sterling through the middle or Bernardo Silva through the middle or Ferran Torres, um, who have all done great, but they've not got the goals to win Man City the game this season. It's almost as if Liverpool have made the exact same mistake which City made last season when they didn't replace company because, yes, Liverpool didn't need to replace anyone, apart from probably Lovren leaving a while ago now. But it's one of those where they did have um, Van Dijk, Gomez and Matip all fit at the start of the season. And... And so they did have three really good centre-halves anyway. But I also think it, it's not exactly the fault of the front three because they are quality and absolutely world-class. But when, you, but when you clearly play the same front three almost every game for the last three, three seasons now, sooner or later, teams are going to suss out how to stop them playing a certain way. And if you look, when City hit 100 points, all the pundits were, all the pundits were saying, oh, they're going to dominate English football for the next five years. Liverpool walk it last season. Everyone said the same thing. But I think with all the tactical analysis and all the research that can go into games these days compared to when Manu did the treble and when they had that front line of Rooney, Tevez, Ronaldo and they won the year, year in, year out almost. Those times are gone because back then clubs didn't have the, the resources or the technology to be able to go into so much detail about every single player, how they run, where they run, you know, all the time. So I think it's also down to Liverpool. Yes, I do have the strength in depth going forward with Origi, Shaqiri, Minamino, etc. But they don't use them like... If I was Klopp, and of course, Jota's injured, and he's been a huge miss for me. I think that's a huge point to bring up because he was on incredible form when he got injured but Klopp like the front three are absolutely world class and he can't drop them because they are so good but it would certainly throw a lot of teams off by not starting one or two of them in a game mm. and I think that it could also do the squad good because then when Mane and Salah for example who are rapid as hell come off the bench with half an hour to go against a defence who's already getting tired their pace is going to almost double up so mm. I really do think it could be a case of Liverpool becoming too predictable having played the same way under clock now for, for three or four years Yeah agreed and and also it, it would sort of send a message that um, no one is guaranteed a spot like if, if you see Salah and Mane on the bench, then that, that's like it's going to make like Robertson sort of like pick up his form and Trent, like, because, uh, all right, yeah, there's not really got much competition for those places, but they're still not guaranteed a spot if they're not performing like as well. 
and so I think that that could help sort of like raise the game um, and I, th- I think you've also mentioned it when we've been talking away from recording uh, like Oxley Chamberlain has been on the bench uh, when he's come back fit and sort of like again being too reliant on Curtis Jones like um, so do you think uh, he should use Oxlade more now uh, to try and inspire some sort of energy and wins? I get why he would start Curtis Jones, especially now with Fabinho and Henderson having to play centre-half. But when you bring someone on in a midfield free to change the game, you need them to be able to drive 30 or 40 yards with the ball from their own half into the attacking third. And Curtis Jones is good on the ball, but he doesn't have that presence in midfield yet. He doesn't have the strength or the drive and the power to do that. Whereas Chamberlain, I mean, if you saw his goals against Man City in the league and the Champions League a couple of years ago, he just breezed, breezed past players like they weren't there. Thiago can do that because he's skillful. Fijnaldum because he's quick. But Chamberlain's the only midfielder for me who has the pace, the power to just pick up the ball, drive, and also shoot from from long range and consistently hit the target. Mm. So for me, I don't understand why he's not um, playing Chamberlain yet. He's not going to start him because obviously when you come back from a decent amount of injury time, it's going to still take a few weeks to get back up to being properly match fit, which Klopp was speaking about after the Man U game, I think. So, it's a weird one, but I just don't understand why he's not bringing Ox on, to be fair. Mm, yeah, agreed. Right, then we'll round off the Premier League by talking about two of the London clubs, two more of the so-called, so-called top four, traditionally. Chelsea and Arsenal. Chelsea are seventh, and they're already eight points off the league leaders, despite making a whole host of summer signings who impressed me, to be fair. And I did start well, I'll give him that. Mm. But Fern has gone off form since, since Giroud's hit form and then obviously forced Timo out wide where he started the season and was pretty average. And, it, and it's not really surprising to me for that, to see that happening again. We've also got Havertz, who's never really hit the heights so far this season. Thiago Silva's come in to like solidify the defence, but I still think that Chelsea and Arsenal, especially Arsenal, since probably like 2008 or whatever, probably have been way too focused on going forwards. And you can sign all the attacking plays in the world, but if you don't have a quality back four, which in fairness, Chelsea do, and it'll still take a few months for them to properly click with like a new centre-half, Jagger Silva, Chilwell left-back, Mendy as a keeper now. But then that'll take time, but you've still, you, just because you're going forwards so much, you can't afford to not focus on properly defending. I'm not sure if they don't really defend much in training because they have so many like quality players going forwards. But I'm, I'm not entirely sure where either team is going to go this season, like, European football could be their, their best route of having success. But I don't see Chelsea winning Champions League. No, 
No, agreed, yeah. Um, I, I also think, and I, I know Arsenal tried to sign one uh, and they got him eventually, uh, Thomas Partey, sort of like a midfield general, but I think they're, they're still lacking in that area. Uh, you, I know we talk about Liverpool, but it's like when he's there, Henderson is probably like one of the best at the minute of being that sort of midfield general of just like dictating the play and grabbing the games by the scruff of the neck when it needs to. I, I don't see a player like that in Arsenal and Chelsea teams at the minute. I mean, Thomas Partey, give, give him a year or two and he, he could be that player. Um, but again, he, he's only just come. He's not going to be the player that everyone saw at Atletico Madrid or like all of a sudden. Only, you know, very unique players have that ability to adapt to each league. Um, so you, you've got to give Thomas Partey some time. Um, but I still think they could have got another sort of like big midfield presence as well. I mean, Arsenal have have a decent budget. Um, uh, after like not signing many players um, for a couple of seasons, um, so this, they've got they've got money to spend. That I thought they could have gone for someone like um, Milinkovic Savic from Lazio, um, just like another sort of like big presence in in midfield. And the same goes for Chelsea. That I think I think Kante is still being played out of position. Um, I, I he's he has obviously he's known for his energy, so he he could do a box to box role, but I think he prefers it just being that sort of like deep lying uh, playmaker, shall we say, or centre defensive mid, because um, that that's why he was his best. He won two Premier League titles doing that job, and then yes, Sari comes in and. Uh, um, moves into sort of like this sort of like number eight position, sort of like uh, sort of wider centre midfield. Uh, I don't, don't think that suits him um, because you're not using him for the best of his abilities. Um, so if they're going to use him like that, then they need, because Jorginho, yes, he's brilliant on the ball, but he's not as defensively apt as, Kante is in that position. So I think they need someone to sit alongside Jorginho, um, like who is more defensive-minded or technically uh, defensively better as well. That's just me. For Arsenal, could you say that they've missed Mesut Ozil? I mean, yes. Because of his footballing brain, um, I mean, we've got our thoughts about Ozil and we know how good he is going forward. As soon as you get him around that box, he'll pick a flea on the grass and pass it to him. Uh, so he's got that great attacking footballing brain. It's just his work ethic like, off the ball um, that sort of frustrates me at times um, that yes you, you can have all this quality but you, you've got to like wear the badge of pride you've, you've got to put in a shift as well 
um, especially when when you're on 350 grand a week you, you you've got to play for that money and some, sometimes Ezil doesn't do that but then by not having him you sort of also shooting yourself in the foot as well because he's going to get you you know 15 20 assists uh, in the season and he's going to create like 100 chances in the season so yeah uh, they probably are um, but it's just you, you need the right place behind him to cover the work that Ezel isn't going to do off the ball and like I said I don't think Arsenal have that at the moment I think they still need one or two more to have Ezel in the team which then might think that it'll go in, maybe. I don't know. Well, he has just completed his move to Fenerbahce, but I'm, it's a real shame, in my opinion, that we didn't see him play with Thomas Partey behind him because they brought mm. Partey in to basically block anything going towards the back four. And if you had a midfield three of Partey, Shaka and Erzl, those two CDMs behind Erzl, it would have allowed him to just like meander around, you know, and not mm. fully track back and just just focus on picking those wonderful through balls, which he's so famous for. And I always feel that he's been made as this huge scapegoat just because he doesn't sprint on the pitch. Like, it doesn't mean that he's not trying. Obviously, it helps when you do sprint back because you have numbers behind the, the ball. But with Shaka and now Thomas Partey in midfield, I would just wish we could have seen him in the Premier League in an Arsenal share yeah. end of this season. Yeah. Just being the link-up player like for those front three, I just think would have been absolutely fantastic. But he's moved on now, and I hope he has a fantastic time at Fenerbahce. Yeah, he should dominate that league, to be fair. Right then, moving on to France then. PSG, champions, top of the league, on goal difference. So you could argue that they're not really having a bad season. Won the Champions League group as well. So, are they struggling? Some people say not, but they've still sacked Thomas Tuchel and, and brought in Muccio Pochettino. I think he won the trophy in his first game, to be fair, after not winning one <laughs> at Spurs for like four or five years. It's a weird one, that because PSG, they were struggling in terms of the usually like usually 10 points clear by now. But with all the other teams in the league getting better, which is also a point to bring up, because all the small teams are starting to really, really close the gap now, I think, consistently yeah. across all the leagues. But, but to sack Thomas Tuchel being top, winning Champions League group after reaching the Champions League final last season. I think that was incredibly harsh. Mm. I don't think they're having a bad season, but compared to usual, we've, we've put them down just just purely because of the the situation within this season, second two cool. uh, Yeah, um, it was a weird one. Um, I think if, if you're going to let Tuchel go, you let him go on a high after reaching the Champions League final. Um, because clubs these days, you know, they're, they're talking to managers two, three years before they actually signed them. 
Um, and so there would have been talking to Pochettino in the summer for whatever happened. Um, and to tack two or six, four or five months into the into the season um, is a bit harsh, especially after doing so well in a toughish Champions League group. Um, and you know, I, I think they were like second, they were second or third in the league when when they sacked him, but they weren't that far off. And I think they had a couple of games in hand as well. Um, so. Um, you can not sort of understand why they wanted him, but if they're going to replace him, I, I suggest. I, I thought it would have been better and more um, sort of fairer on Tuchel to do it in the summer just gone, um, just so he can leave on the high. Because um, there would have been plans to replace him anyway, whether that was, you know, obviously it happened. Um, but I, I thought it, it could, they could have done it in a fairer way, um, and that that's where the sticking point for me comes. Because I do actually rate Tuchel. He uh, did well at Dortmund as sort of this unknown manager. Um, I think he got them quite far in the Champions League. He, uh, I think, got them to second, but I think they really sort of closed the gap on uh, Bayern uh, that season. That, or a couple of seasons that he was there. So I thought it, it was a good manager to get in at PSG because it's a bigger club, bigger finances, that he could have built something. And, and he did. He got them to... He was like the first PSG manager to get them to a Champions League final. Um, so to have that disrespect of like not giving him another full season, uh, I just thought it was a bit, a bit harsh for me. Indeed. And you mentioned Dortmund there, so that ties us nicely onto the Bundesliga. And with Dortmund, fourth in the league, seven points though, already off Bayern Munich. And they've had a couple of poor results of late. They lost, I think they lost away to Union Berlin. And at the weekend, Royce missed a penalty in the one-all draw against Mainz. I mean, they absolutely dominated that game and they have done a lot of games this season, but they're just not clicking. Similar to Liverpool and Klopp, really, in many ways. Mm. But I guess four, seven points off off Bayern Munich. I mean, if you win the game against them, then it goes to four points, and that's only like a two results swing. So that's not too much of a, of a concern, really. But Gladbach qualified for the knockout stages, stages of the Champions League, but they're four points off Dortmund, 11 points off the title chase, if you like. And I really expected them, after qualifying for the Champions League last season, to really kick on and sign some some quality players. And in the Champions League, they've been phenomenal. Like player and Turam, is it? I think they've, they've been tremendous, to yeah. be fair, in Europe. And I'm not quite sure why it's not working domestically for them but they stand out and I'm sure you'll mention it too is Schalke bottom of the table one win all season I think they only won once in in the league in 2020 if I'm not mistaken or twice or something horrific like that and Schalke when I started picking up on German 
football, I believe Neuer was still in goal when they got to the Champions League semi-finals against Man U and they've, they're falling a long way and I can probably see him getting relegated. Mm. Uh, yeah, um, but tough times for a Schalke fan, um, especially when you've seen sort of like Dortmund sort of overtake them, uh, who are like their massive rivals um, over the years. Um, I, I think I think Schalke has fallen um, under the sort of like thing of like you know you buying sort of like just taking every player and a lot of sort of former Schalke players have gone to buy in uh, and now playing against them. You mentioned one in Neuer. Um, I think Nicholas Stuhler went to uh, was it Schalke. So, you know, they've had a, a few players been taken away from them uh, over the years. Um, and I, I don't think Schalke is like, it's not, if, you, if you're going to German football, you, now you, you don't look at Schalke as a, a team um, anymore, which, which is a shame for them because, you know, they, um, they've got sort of vast history. Like you said, they went to the Champions League semi-finals a few years ago. Um, they got sort of like the one of the standout German teams that you look at the badge, you recognise the team. Um, so it's a shame seeing them at rock bottom as the Bundesliga. Um, but maybe they need it to sort of like rebuild, have a shake up, ha- have a season in Bundesliga spy, and then get back up to where where they should be. Um, have sort of like a total rebuild as such. Um, with Dortmund, I think they've done what Liverpool has done similarly, but in the attack, not the defence. I think they sort of like became too reliant on Haaland and uh, Sancho. And yet Haaland is still scoring goals um, as he does uh, this season. But Sancho has been off form um and other players around them sort of like dropped their levels from where they were last sort of like back end of last year. Um, so I, I I thought they could have brought in maybe another winger um, or two just to sort of like cover, provide that competition for places. Um, and as legends as they are, they have got an aging back line. Um, you know, Hummels, um, he's, I think, 33, 34, and uh, still got Piszczek, um, who again is a, a similar age, and Schmelzer as well. Uh, as, as legends in the, as they are, and they probably will finish their careers at Dortmund, as they should, because um, they've shown massive loyalty, um, even though Hummel did go to Bayern and come back, but Piszczek and Schmelzer, they, they stuck um, with, like, Royce, um, when they could have easily have gone to, you know, um, a big Premier League club or, um, or buying uh, whoever, um, but so they stuck. Um, but I think Dortmund is now coming a time where they're going to have to start thinking of younger players to bring in uh, to help that defensive line uh, and get to where uh, they aspire to be and you know being Bundesliga champions and sort of getting further on in the Champions League. 
Uh, with Gladbach, yes, they probably were expected to sort of like push on. Um, but again, I think they're similar to Schalke. I don't, yes, they're in the Champions League, but they're still a club that if it was like between Gladbach and AC Milan, you'd go AC Milan because of the history. They still, they still haven't got that sort of like uh, presence of a club that players want to join. Um, even though probably when you go there, it'll be the best experience of your life and there'll be a club that you probably grow to love. Um, but they haven't got that pull factor at the minute. Um, even though they have got quality players in Turam, uh, Dennis Zakaria, I believe, is there. And they're, they're two quality players. Um, so, yeah, they probably should be higher, but I would still expect them come May, June, for them to be uh, sort of like fifth, fourth uh, in the Bundesliga. So I don't think it's too much of a, a worry at the minute. Um, yeah. Let's take a break from this so-called top five leagues in Europe and go to Scotland and Celtic. I mean, the season gets worse and worse. They went to Dubai for some team bonding training exercise, which is the most pathetic thing since I saw that they were 21 points off Stephen Gerrard's Rangers, which is laughable. And they're still second. Like, if you're 21 points, right, off the league leaders, okay, yes, you've got three games in the hand, but you're still second. Kind of shows why Scotland's top flight is not talked about in Europe's top leagues. And yes, you might have two really good sides in Celtic and Rangers, but I mean, I can't believe Celtic this season. I expected it to be a proper two-horse title race this season. Like, Gerard closed the gap a bit last season, but they never really truly challenged come the back end of it. But I don't know what's happened. It's like Liverpool in England, like challenged City, nearly won it and then just like took off. I can't believe it. 21 points ahead of Celtic. Mm. Absolutely crazy. But I mean, to be fair to, to Rangers and Stevie G, I mean, fair play to you. Like, Recruitment-wise, I think they've got it spot on over the last over the last few years. He's really used his Liverpool connections well with Ryan Kent, who who you keep on saying off air should be in contention for an England spot. But I mean, it's an episode about big teams not doing well. So Celtic, I mean, what can you say about them? Uh, yeah, I, I think I think. Yeah, like you said, their season was summed up last week, wasn't it? When I think was it twelve or thirteen players uh, had to self-isolate because of, because of a trip to Dubai. Which I think, like, why in this current climate, with the restrictions that the general public have, and you're a club that pulls a lot of Scottish fans in, and they they've been put under sort of like strict restrictions of over the last year and a bit. Um, like, why make that decision and go abroad in this current climate is it's stupid. And if that loses them the league, then 
to I don't like saying it, but I think they deserve it because you can't do that in this current climate. Uh, you know, go, go to Dubai for I don't care if it's team bonding or stuff. You can do that in Scotland. Um, all right, you're not going to have the weather, but why do why do you need to go to Dubai uh, to have a team bonding session? You know, if if anything, it's probably going to be better for them to stay in Scotland because they're still going to be acclimatised to the weather uh, for the league games coming up. Um, they're not going to get used to the sunbed in Scotland. Um, so they didn't need it. They didn't need to go to it. And to be honest, that yeah, sorry, I'm ranting here, but they, they have like shot themselves in the wrong foot there, really. Um, and to be honest, I'm glad Liverpool beat them 2 0 on the weekend because I think that just highlighted like how much of um, sort of like the situation that they put themselves themselves in uh, is um, by losing to a. Then I think there was I think Liverpool was struggling for form as well, and um, so you know it should have been a team that they should have beaten uh, on paper and last week they yeah they should yeah sorry ran over <laughs> I mean you could almost well you could say that the league was probably over by that point so if we're going to be properly cynical could the owners have thought a trip to to Dubai could put the blame on that and on COVID and not the fact that they had a had a full strength squad and were already 16 17 points off mm. it already and yeah. I I do generally feel that they might have just thought we need to take attention away from the team not doing well and make up some kind of worldly excuse for the big gap that's yeah, but a cynical view on it it's selfish though this should be you know if they're not top, they should be second by one or two points. They, they shouldn't be as far as ahead. And to do what they did last week, I think, I think just, I, th- I think it's even more stupid, really, um, because actually, they they can do all the team bonding stuff in, in Scotland. They don't need to go to abroad, especially in the current climate. They don't they don't need to um, exactly. go abroad. Right then, back to the top league, Syria. Juventus have won countless league titles in a row, and yet, albeit yeah, one game in hand, ten points off a resurgent AC Milan, and Ibrahimovic is taking them places. By the way, but Juventus lost two nil away at Inter Milan at the weekend, and that was a real big one for them because if they win that. Seven points off with a game in hand could have become four points, and that you know from that from there you think you avail probably just keep on rolling like they always do. Ten points is a big gap, but I do think they will claw it back. But it's weird to see them down in in fifth place in Syria in the first place because you never associate that with Juve and all the other teams in the league haven't really improved. Unlike France, unlike Germany, England kind of mm. league. So it's a weird one. Pelo's first season, I guess, as head coach, yeah, I get that. 
but they started pretty well. He seems to have picked up a habit though of like resting Ronaldo. Of course, he has has COVID for a few weeks, but even like I was tired of that. Like he was fully fit and he he was rested in the league because of Champions League, and then they didn't win a couple of games in the league. And it's one of those things like yeah, he's thirty five, but he's CR seven. He's going to be the best goal scorer of all time. Like it's always a risk to not play him. Yes, you've got the Russian out wide. You've got Chiesa from Fiorentina. You've got Morata. I I do think that Pirlo, I mean, it's good that he's trusting other like squad members and other strikers to not just rely on on Cristiano, but I think he's been found out a few times that he's still essential to that team. Uh, yeah, agreed. Um, it is weird seeing Juventus this far down, um, even though they're not actually that far behind the league, as it, like you said, they could still call it back come May. Um, but uh, I, th- I think I think you said that not many Italian teams have improved. But I think I think they have. Um, like AC Milan brought in a huge figure like Zlatan back to the club. Um, I think Inter Milan have been really crude with their signings over the last couple of years. You know they've got Lukaku. Um, uh, Sanchez is is done well for them, and uh, um and they've they've really sort of like utilised their youth system, and they've kept hold of like sort of big players for them, like uh, Lautaro Martinez and Skriniar. Um, so I, I think I I did think it would be closer than it has uh, this season, um, especially with AC Milan and Inter Milan clawing that gap back, like we've seen. Um, but yeah, for, for like I, I haven't expect I didn't expect Roma to be as high as they were, as they are. Sorry, um, this season, at, um, because they have let go of a couple of players over the past. But again, them I think they must have brought players up through the youth system that is sort of doing really well for them. I, I don't don't really keep tabs much on uh, Italian football. Um, so yeah, so yeah, so to see Juventus fifth, it is you know, a shock, um, especially after, I think, is it their 11th consecutive title last season, I think. Um, so, yeah, it is. But again, like you say, Perlo's first season, if they don't win it, then I think they've, they've got that to fall back on. But with the quality of players that they have, they should win it. And I think they will come May time. It'll be interesting to see how much going deep into the Champions League will have an effect on their season because they obviously mm. brought in Ronaldo to win the Champions League, changed the manager to win the Champions League. So even if they are, say, three or four points off the top of Serie A, when it gets to the quarterfinals onwards, you have to be playing your full-strength team in that in the Champions League. So that, yeah. that could play a factor as well. Yeah. Right then, final league, La Liga. Only one place to start, really. Barcelona, third somehow because they had a dreadful, dreadful start to the season after selling Suarez to title rivals Atletico. Only five and a half million. That's come back to to haunt them absolutely. Like 
I, I can't even say how much, but the whole messy saga as well in the summer, is he going to stay or wanted to leave? Like, I've never heard a player come out like vocally and say he wants to leave so much and then mm. go back on his word and, you know, stay and kind of like back down from it. He, of course, got a red card for the first time in his, in his Barcelona career against Athletic Bilbao in the Super, in the Super League. Loss uh, at the weekend. Bilbao themselves actually find themselves 12th, despite winning, winning the Super Cup last week. Valencia 14th, which is incredibly bad for them. But, I mean, Barcelona, they had some terrible transfer business in the window if you ask me I mean Dest was a good signing like at, um, at full back I think that was really good but swapping Arthur for Pjanic and then letting Suarez go for like to Barcelona it's like if you pick I mean if you drop five million on the ground you probably just walk away from it which yeah. is and then t- t- to sell Suarez like someone who's got incredible or had sorry incredible stats at Barca, I mean, I'm not surprised that they're not, well, seemingly not going to win the league this season. Uh, yeah, um, I, th- I think I, th- I think it, I could see where Barcelona were going and they're wanting to rebuild, but I think what they should have done, they should have brought in, yeah, I, I know, I know they've, they've brought in an ex-player with, with uh, Koeman, but um, I, I thought it was sort of like the perfect season to bring um, like Xavi in, for example, and just, you know, get a player that Messi trusts um, because he, he, he is, without a doubt, Mr. Barcelona Messi. Um, and Messi would have trusted that, I think, more than Koeman because obviously Koeman in the Premier League didn't have a good record. All right, he, he did get Southampton to eighth, seventh in the league, I think. Um, uh, but obviously, he struggled at a club with resources like Everton. He, he struggled to sort of like um, get any form there and do do anything. Um, all right, yes, he did research um, the Dutch national team um, after their sort of like hiatus in. Uh, made the tournament. Uh, he, he got them through into the Euros uh, for this year. Uh, it should have been last year. Um, so he did do that, but he's not got a brilliant record that Messi like would look at and say, oh, "I can actually put my hundred percent trust in this manager." Uh, so I thought it was like the perfect time to bring in Xavi, like Juventus did with Perla. Um, you know, a player that fans can get behind a player that Messi can get behind and trust and like Xavi's got I, I, I always said it he's got probably one of the best tactical brains of a, like um, of a playing footballer that I've seen like the way that he just reads what's happening on the pitch and to, to have that on the sidelines and he, he would have gone into and that like deep analysis of games I think with Barca and the resources that they have and it's like he could have brought in like 
Spanish players because it's Xavi. You're going to play under Xavi at Barcelona. Like, there's nothing, you know, a, a young Spanish footballer would want more probably. Um, but yeah, and like you say, another thing that they sold Suarez to. Like, if you're going to sell Suarez, you don't sell him to another Spanish club. You sell him like to PSG, Juventus, Bayern, where he's not going to have an effect on like as much on your league position because at, at Barcelona in the games that he played he got 198 goals and he got 97 assists like he's not just going to stop that overnight yes he's probably not going to hit that the same levels but we've seen this season he's scoring every other week for Atletico Madrid and he'll be creating chances as well for them and you know in a quality team and that's why we're seeing Atletico Madrid be so high. So I think I, I was saying that it's probably the perfect time for Suarez to go, but you don't sell him to Atletico Madrid or like another Spanish football team. You sell him abroad so he doesn't have effect. If he's going to have an effect on you, he'll be in the Champions League. It won't be in, the, in what matters, the, the football league is saying. So I must think. say as well, Suarez is probably the most Atletico Madrid, um, the most Atletico Madrid striker I've ever seen. Yeah, up there as well. But I, Suarez, like he suits them to a T. In Barcelona, yeah. I don't know how they, if 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 they did see it, they, they must have just ignored it and think it's only it's only Atletico. Yeah. I mean, they must have forgot that they won the league in their own yeah. backyard at the Camp, Camp Nou seven years ago. Mm. But I, I, I mean, don't understand that one whatsoever. If you're selling to Atletico Madrid, you're selling for, you know, 50, 60 million, where you can then go out and buy, you know, another quality player. Like, they could have probably got, like, um, I don't know, Morata or, or, or someone like that that knows the Spanish league well um, and they would have had a lot more money to spend. You don't sell him to Atletico Madrid for, like you say, 5 million or whatever it was, uh, where you can't bring in another quality player. Even though, yes, Barca have money, but they would have lost a lot during the COVID time, so they wouldn't have really have had much to spend, probably as you would expect. Um, so to only have brought in five million from that sale, from a player that, like Suarez, was for Barca, it, it, uh, that, that's a broad mishap for me there. Right then, so we've covered all the top leagues, but before we leave you, I just want to make a, and talk about a more general point. With all the fixture congestion because of COVID this season, is possibly the biggest reason for the top teams struggling more than usual, is that because European football is coming or had been coming before the group stages finished. Like they, they, it was coming week in week out. They were playing Saturday, Tuesday, or Sunday, Wednesday every every single week. They had like three three games a week for maybe what three months straight. Is that why a lot of the smaller teams are doing better and the big teams are having so many injuries? Mm. I I get that. And 
I, I fully respect like plays where welfare should be the main focus of, of anything. And I did sort of think with the current COVID situation, it was a bit weird to have a European competition this season. Um, just, just to try and limit any, like, you know, to stop and get back to some sort of normal in every country around the world, not just Europe, obviously. Um, so to have them, you know, have like London clubs go into Germany, Italy, Spain, for example, um, it was a bit weird for me. But in terms of like playing Saturday, Tuesday, I mean, League One teams uh, and League Two teams are doing it with much smaller budgets and um, I don't want to have no disrespect because there are some quality players in League One and Two, but less able players than Premier League players. Um, you know, playing Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, and like there's no sort of like similar disparity in like you know we've got the teams in League One possibly where they should be there's not all right oxford had a, a little bit of a weird start but you know if you look at the table you'd say all right yeah there's there's no sort of like real standout shock uh, as such i mean league two you, you're going to have the, the new team bounce in and that happened with harrogate and barrow starting off really well um but again there's there's no real shock he's still got exeter city fighting uh, Cambridge are, are doing really well as well, and um, so I, I don't. I I honestly can't pin what why there is such a sort of like big disparity in the Premier League at the minute. Like it's like you look at the table and you go, "Whoa!" Every week it, it changes. Like you know, Liverpool are at the top, then two weeks later they they're now you know fourth, and so. It, it's sort of like a wow every week when you look at the Premier League table. I, I don't know what it is, but maybe it's because the smaller clubs have been sort of like crude. Uh, you know, they've saved up their sort of like money that they get from uh, the Premier League and staying in there. And that obviously they've spent it well and they're now starting to get the players' form that they have. Like, you see, like West Ham, that like, yeah, they had a couple of seasons where players weren't gelling, but they're now starting to form and gel. Um, and that they've sort of really become a really good team to watch. Um, so, so, and Southampton as well. I mean, like after what happened last season with the 9-0, they've now started to... So I, I, don't, I don't know what it is, but I can't tell you, but I don't understand why people would blame this, the league um, so sorry, the fixture table when League One and League Two teams have a similar fixture congestion. The point I would make on on that is that every single team in the Championship, League One, League Two, they all they all have the same fixture schedule. They all play three times a week, whereas in the Premier League you only have six, seven teams at best, and that's the big teams. So likes of West Ham and <clears throat> Southampton, they don't have those games. So although like League One and League Two are used to that, Championship Two, they all do it. All 
all 24 teams, whereas out of 20 in the Prem, you'd say six, seven clubs do that three games a week constantly. So the other 13 teams are going to have seven days rest. Yeah. Well, obviously training and that, but like game-wise, if you play once a week instead of Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, which I get, you know, the biggest teams have the biggest and the best, so-called best squads to supposedly handle that. But the effect it must have, I don't know, mentally on players to, to probably have, say if you play Saturday, you'll rest Sunday, then you'll train hard on Monday and then like a preparation day on the Tuesday, like a Wednesday game, or in fact a, a Tuesday game. They don't really have a break Whereas if you look at Danny Ings at Southampton, he'll probably play a Saturday, Sunday off, Monday, light training, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, decent amount of training, and then Friday, he'll probably what spend an hour training and then go home to his family and kids. So in terms of the top teams playing week in, week out, compared to the, say, second half of the league I think that is a big difference like not all the teams play the same amount of games in a mm. season and I think that is under under COVID COVID with like so many players getting it I think that is now showing how important and how helpful it is for smaller clubs to be able to have that breather yeah I, I fully understand the player welfare side of it like I said at the start of my point um, and I, I was in agreement with I think Steve Bruce was really pushing for a two week sort of like COVID break um, in quotes um, I, I, I was I, I was 100% behind him with that because I, I think they, they did need it um, but yeah I, I, I was just because you see League One and League Two teams have a similar structure and there's no real complaints from them. And then to see Premier League clubs sort of complaining about the fixture congestion, I thought it was a it's little bit... It's big teams that seem but, to be talking about it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Which then, if, if it's the big teams that are talking about it, they should be used to it because if it was a normal season, they'll still have a similar situation for you know between September and um, December when the group stages are on and then obviously they have January off from that congestion and back into February onwards when the knockout stages happen so they should be used to that sort of sort of Saturday Tuesday schedule so well it's uh, definitely an, an interesting one and it's one for you guys to talk with us about on our our social media, if you would, because we love hearing your thoughts, your comments, if you agree with us or not, which usually it's not, but there you go. That's funny. We can all have an opinion, so please, please get in touch with us. And until the, the next episode, guys, see you later. See you later.